Hi there, and welcome to the R3 podcast, a podcast about revival, renewal, and revitalization in the local church. I'm Paul Tillman, pastor of Parkwood Church, a revitalization work in the Twin Cities of Minnesota. And I'm Jeremy Gertis, pastor of Deborah Heights Wesleyan Church, a revitalization work in Des Moines, Iowa. We're just two pastors in the trenches of church revitalization, here to encourage and ignite the imaginations of other revitalizing leaders. And we are so glad that you're here. Welcome to episode number six of the R3 podcast. We are so glad that you're here today. We've been talking about the signs that your church needs some revitalization. Last time we were talking about a spirit of competition and how if you get into the mode that it's us or them and you're competing over people and resources and whatever else, you've missed the entire point of being part of a singular kingdom, a larger church. We're going to be talking today about pastoral tenure and how a revolving door in the pastor's office results in a need for revitalization. So let's start off with a quick disclaimer. Getting a new pastor is always an ideal moment for a little bit of self-assessment. If you're getting a new pastor today, whether your church has had the same pastor for a year or 50 years, you need to go back to the the uh, mission and vision and revisit all of that stuff and correct the course as needed. So new pastor is always a chance to uh, adjust yourself as needed. Uh, but let's also acknowledge that many denominations and faith traditions uh, have historically been very deliberate about moving pastors on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, next door to us, we have a Lutheran church and they, up until COVID, they were getting a new pastor about every two years. And so it, it was like, I, as soon as I'd meet the person, they'd be gone. It was, it was crazy. And that was not healthy for that congregation. But they had no choice. Methodists used to do it every three years. Uh, Wesleyans, our tradition, Paul, we inherited that time frame. Uh, and so it was very common for Westlands to switch every three or four years. But the, the truth is, uh, we're finding out more and more that there is benefit to sticking around longer. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's, that's something without knowing the stats, which we're going to get to in a minute. It was something that I wanted when I was looking, you know, for uh, calling to a church. And for me, in my background, I, growing up, often went to church plants where the original pastor was the pastor that was still there. So I grew up with long-tenured pastors. Um, so I thought that was normal. My grandfather planted a church, and he he was at that church, not in the senior position, but at that church until he died. Um, so for me, being at a place a long time was normal, but that's not the, when we look at the stats, that's not normal for most congregations in the United States. So what you found out is that you're not normal. Yeah. I, I, I've known that for a long time. That's Anybody who knows me knows that's just the way it is. Well, a study done by Tom Rayner and his team for the book out uh, breakout churches back in 2005, I think that was 
found that pastors and churches that had turned around and sustained growth for five or more years had an average tenure of 21.6 years. Compare that to the pastors and churches that had not turned around. They continued that slow spiraling decline. They had an average tenure of just 4.2 years. It's a huge difference. It is a fundamental difference is what that is. And when you add in the fact that the national average for pastoral tenure, uh, or the closest thing that we could find to it, uh, it was 3.6 years back then. More recently, it looks like it maybe have pushed out a little bit to six years, but still, we're a long ways from the 21 years of a turnaround pastor. Yeah, but that that's still, that's significant. That shows that perhaps we're on a upcycle on pastors staying longer, which is good. But McIntosh and Arn uh, observed that, you know, growing churches generally have pastors who've been at the church for over seven. So we're still not averaging over seven years. Some of their stats are three quarters of growing churches have had the same pastor for more than four years. On the flip side, two thirds of declining churches have had their current pastor for less than four years. So four seems to be a magic breaking point. Yeah, that's that's where, at least according to my anecdotal experience, it seems like that's that's about when you know pastors leave, whether they are moved out by a denomination or they move on to other things. Yeah, McIntosh and Arn observed that while long-term pastorates do not guarantee that a church will grow, short-term pastorates essentially guarantee that the church will not grow. And as I look at the history of my congregation, at least. I, I think that we can find that that's true. Our, our church has been around for 82 years. During that time, it's had 15 pastors. Now, that's an average tenure of five and a half years, which isn't too terribly bad when you first look at it. But when you take me out, and I've been here for 18 plus years, and when you take the founding pastor out, who was here for 20 years almost, the average plunges to just three and a half years. And when you take out the next two longest tenured pastors, it's only two and a half years. So just as Rainer, McIntosh, and Arn all predict, during those 45 years when the pulpit had a revolving door, we can see that the church was in a spiraling decline. So at least in my church, their findings has absolutely uh, come true. Yeah, for, for Hartwood, and I'll call them Oakdale because that's what we were for a long time, we had a reputation of having pastors here for long tenures. That's one reason why I came here. Um, but when I looked up the actual stats, um, it was, I'll say, mostly true. Our church has been around for 61 years. And the early pastors, I'll say the first five, they averaged 4.2 years, which seems like, yeah, that's right at that four-year mark. That, that McIntosh and Arn talked about, but we're also looking at the times, uh, you know, we're talking starting in 1959, those three that averaged more than five years, that was actually a long time for back then, where the average might have been two to three years. For the, the last three pastors, including me, um, we're averaging 11 years, and I'm the one who's bringing up the rear at, at eight, but I'm still going. And the last two pastors before me, you know, 15 years and 11 years each, there was significant growth during those times for those long-tenured pastors. Just keep going. 
Yeah, you gotta keep going. It. You can do it. No, it's not just me, but I mean, this is this is just one of those things when, that we'll get back to several times. This is not a thing where where we can quit. Yeah, um, because it, it takes it takes that long to get going. Absolutely, I, I think that's a huge part of this. It takes several years to begin to get traction as a leader if you're going to see real turnaround happen. In fact, uh, Tom Rayner has identified a predictable life cycle of a pastorate. And, and I, I think it's helpful for us as we continue this conversation about what does it look like to be a healthy pastor and what needs to happen if we're going to extend the life cycle or the tenure of a pastor. So uh, Rayner suggested that in year number one, a pastor is going to be in what he called the honeymoon. And that's basically a period where the pastor and the church are both excited. They're learning about each other. A certain degree of change is expected. They're kind of feeling each other out. And they're just excited to be together and working together uh, to advance the kingdom of God. What comes next? Next, uh, years two to three are challenges. Um, the newness of, has worn off. You know, the low-hanging fruit has has been plucked. You know, the, 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 the easy stuff has been done. And uh, you also have more solid vision and also recognizing what the obstacles are ahead. So the, the church hopefully by then is moving together, but change is going to become harder. Uh, Wayne Schmidt told me, you know, you have a certain amount of uh, uh, capital that you get as a new pastor. And that's usually spent in the first year or so. And so now change is not just, we're not going to do this just because you're new. We have to be on board with the vision. Yeah. And not just that, but you get to the point where you do have to do things that are hard and they take time. And that's just the way it is. If, if life was easy, then everybody would do it, right? After the challenges comes what Rainer calls the crossroads in years four and five. And basically, this is where the road has gotten difficult and it's gotten long. The obstacles are only getting bigger. And the farther we go, uh, the more difficult it seems to be getting. It's, it's getting challenging to see uh, around these obstacles and down the road to what's next. And so we face a choice. Either we're going to buckle down, learn and overcome, or we're going to turn back, leave the church and start again somewhere else. And this is a point where a lot of pastors do exactly that. And if pastors don't do it, often the church does it. They say, you know what? It's too hard. We're not going to go down this road together anymore. Yeah. And I think that at least in the case of our church, this nails out perfect because is at the year four or five crossroads is where we realized we had to seriously do revitalization work. And um, we didn't see that earlier. We thought we were doing okay, but in a lot of ways, we were still getting to know each other. We were taking care of some basics. You know? And it was, in hindsight, it would have been nice to say, man, we should have started revitalization my first year here. Um, we couldn't see it then. But yeah. by year five-ish, four or five-ish, we could. Yeah. And to be honest, this can take a couple of different forms, I think. On the one hand, you have... We have this grand vision that is not yet accomplished, but to get to it and finish it is going to be very, very difficult. On the other hand, you have, 
we have this vision, we're getting to the point where it's becoming accomplished, we're getting close to finishing it out, what is coming next? And we have to face the challenge of seeing down the road around the bend and, and figure out what comes next. What is around the bend uh, is year six through 10 is harvest. And that's assuming we are buckling down, that we've learned, that we're overcoming. Painter suggests that that's when we actually see the most fruit, um, which is, I think, I don't know if that's intuitive because the idea would be to think, oh, we got a new pastor and this often happens sometimes uh, that brings in that fresh excitement and you get new people or maybe you get old people that came back. So you might get a surge in year one, but that's not the same thing as what he's talking about in harvest, which is way down starting in year six to 10. Yeah. Your productivity increases dramatically uh, after year six, seven, especially, and going down the, down the line from that point. Uh, we had a pastor in our church years ago that was here for several years. The first year the church grew and he was excited about that, and rightfully so. But every year after that, it went downhill. And he left before he got to see this harvest. And, and I always feel badly about that. I, I just feel like he missed out. I would actually suggest that after years six through 10, the uh, cycle then starts over. Uh, but depending on how you look at it, Rainer comes up with some different terminology. I think that what happens is that when we choose to buckle down, when we choose to learn, when we choose to overcome, when we choose to adjust our vision and our strategies and all that stuff, uh, our vision and our energy are renewed. Uh, we return to that state of excitement and growth. Change becomes easier for a time. And I, I think that's why year seven is kind of a second honeymoon. But then we come back to years eight through 10. And in years eight through 10, I think we find ourselves back in the grind. What do you think, Paul? You're at year eight. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think this makes sense because, and I, I don't know if it's that rigid, but I think there can be this point somewhere after seven where uh, people are on board with the new vision, perhaps regaining some momentum and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's exciting again. Um, but at some point, there's always new challenges. Um, and there's always getting to know the path. If we are truly meeting or, or drawing new people and making new disciples, um, that, that honeymoon period starts again with every new, new individual and family that comes to the church. So when, when I compare revitalization to church planting, um, it's like we're starting with new people again. And if there aren't new people in the church, there's something wrong. So um, I think that the idea of more bodies in the church that haven't been there through those first five to seven years necessitates a restart, not with the whole congregation, but at least with parts. Right. Rainer says that in year 11 and after you come to a second crossroads, he calls it crossroads part two. Uh, and we have to make the decision again, whether we're going to buckle down, learn and overcome, or we're going to turn back again. I would suggest that it's at about 11, year 11, year 12, that the cycle resets yet again. Yeah. And it keeps going in a repeating cycle uh, throughout our tenure. What do you think? Yeah, I think, 
I don't know how long it goes for, but I think of uh, Rick Warren with this second crossroads. Um, you know, his church was growing. And at some point they got to a point where he realized he needed to be a leader that delegates as opposed to, you know, does everything. And uh, he had to figure out, could he, could he do that? You know, could he learn how to do that? He had to change his leadership model because his church had grown. And that's one of those things that, that long-term pastors will have to do if the church is growing. Hey, can I adjust my leadership to, to the new, new normal of this church? So it continues to grow. And, and I'll, I'll be honest that I think for some people that may be in their capacity if they want it. And for some people, it may not be, um, I think there are some people that are church planters and they should get stuff started and then know how to pass it off at the right time. Um, that there's, that's okay. You know, the apostle Paul didn't like stay in a church at a long time. He planted and then, but then who did he pass it off to you? Timothy who stayed there. Yeah. His longest tenure was what? Two and a half, three years. Oh, Paul. Yeah. So I think, I think we can know what our calling and gifting is, but at the same time, we need to be ready to learn and grow. And that could be anything from I've got to adjust my leadership style to I've got to rethink the organizational structure and how I relate to the different people here. Yeah. Or, or, or bringing in the right people to, to compliment. Yeah. So. And it, it could be even something as simple as I've got to start writing new sermons. I've known a couple of people that went to churches and they left when they ran out of sermons because they weren't willing to write new ones. Oh yeah. That's, that's sad. And I, I'm, uh, I'm kind of wrestling with this now because, uh, you know, year eight, because I've actually had a request to that we go back to some stuff and I'm like, man, I want some, I want to be fresh all the time. But some of the things that we have to constantly dive in on, you know, like, fulfilling the commission and for us, you know, reaffirming how we model discipleship. They said, you know, you haven't preached that in a while about our discipleship, you know, you got to yeah. do that. And so it's like, okay, you know, yeah. so I'm pulling out the old sermons and fortunately I don't have the podcast anymore. I do have my notes. So it's kind of like, they're not going to be the same, yeah. <laughs> but, but they're going to be close. <laughs> yeah. Another very real issue becomes things like Easter and Christmas. How do you oh, keep it fresh and new so after five, six, eight, 10, 15 years? How do you, oh, how yeah. do, you well, do that? Yeah, one of my first mentor pastors, he, he told me Christmas was the hardest time for him to preach. He says, he says, there's, he says there's only so many, there's only so many, at least New Testament, you know, passages and stories on that. And people expect to hear, you know, the shepherd story <laughs> and Mary's story and stuff like that. He's just, he's, uh, you can only do it so many ways, he felt. And so, so he felt it was a real challenge. Yeah. And, and so you got to really start to rethink a lot of different things from the most basic to the most fundamental to the most profound things about your ministry in order to make sure that you can keep pressing on. Those those crossroads times, those challenging times um, that could come in years, you know, three to five, or then if you're there for a long time, 10 to 12, that is one of those times where, where we might start feeling burnout. We're going to talk about this in a later episode, but this idea of hitting these times where we're just, we're, we're tired 
uh, or it's really, really tough or out of ideas. Um, we need to be aware of where we are in a pastoral life cycle so that we're aware that that burnout may be coming. Yeah. And it's tempting in a lot of traditions that you want to take your sabbatical in that ditch as you're coming into burnout. I would suggest that we should actually take our sabbatical at the opposite end where we're on our high point. And we'll, we can talk about that later on too. We don't have time today to do it, but I, a couple of things there that, I mean, there, there's people that need emergency sabbaticals for sure. They need to go on a sabbatical because they are burnt out and that's the only way to save their ministry. But there, there are other people that if we plan better, we could do a sabbatical at a better time and get more out of it. So Paul, when we look at this life cycle, it becomes, well, it becomes clear why a revolving door for pastors is a bad deal, I think. Uh, new pastor comes, he's excited for the future, she's excited for the future, begin to implement a change or two, parishioners resist, try a couple more things, resistance increases, difficulty increases, whatever, the more he or she tries, the more resistance they meet until the pastor gets frustrated and bails. The pastor never does the hard stuff. And as a result, the church never turns around. Yeah, it takes that time. You have to realize, we need to realize how, that it is hard work. Um, and it's not that I would, I wouldn't say I was cruising when I started here, um, but I was so excited to, to be at my first full-time pastoral call and, and the people were excited and, and we were learning about each other and learn about the community. Um, I never felt I needed a vacation because I, I couldn't believe they were paying me to do this kind of thing. Um, but when we got serious about revitalization, um, that's hard work and I get tired and I need breaks, you know, um, because it's one of those things you can't take your foot off the accelerator. You can't take your arm off the teal. Yeah. And I got to be honest, COVID season has really accentuated that for me. Uh, like you, I functioned for many years thinking, wow, I can't believe that they pay me to do this. I don't need a vacation because I am excited. I'm ready to go. Then I hit my first uh, crossroads, as Rainer calls it, and man, I needed something. I had to take that break. That was true. And I, I've learned since then that I got to take that break, but COVID has disrupted all of that. My wife and I were expected to take a week of vacation this summer, in addition to a week of church camp and two weeks with our kids at church camp and not us. And we didn't get any of that because of COVID. And it has really, really messed me up. So vacations, sabbaticals, those are essential things to set up in a rhythm, just like the pastoral life cycle is kind of a rhythm. You've got to do it. Got to do it. Cannot stress that enough. There, there's no way to be in it for the long haul without taking breaks. Yeah. On the flip side, okay, you know, the church looking for a new pastor as a silver bullet, as opposed to the pastor looking to go somewhere else because it's easier. Or maybe, you know, and we put a lot of bad on a pastor. Maybe 
I've also known pastors who's just like, nope, I'm going to start here at this church and then I'm going to move up to a larger congregation. Uh, uh, so churches shouldn't be stepping stones, pastors. Uh, I'm just saying that straight out. But uh, um, but sometimes the church is looking for new, what we, what we need to get out of this rut is a new pastor. We need a younger pastor. We need a whatever pastor. Um, so sometimes it's the the push from from the congregation that wants to move the pastor out, and that is the congregation not owning the problem. If the expectation is that the church, the pastor is going to do all the work and bring all the new people and do all the evangelism and discipleship and outreach, that's a problem. That church is not going to be healthy. That's a recipe for disaster. It really, really is. So I see there's, I kind of saw two, two sides to this, you know, that we've been kind of dancing around or, or not dancing around, but topics, you know, one pastor turnaround you know, high pastor turnaround is a sign that a church may need revitalization. Like I said at the beginning, long pastor tenure is not assured of growth, but quick turnaround is definitely a sign of not growth. Right, Paul. And that really brings up an important point. Just because you have a long tenured pastor doesn't mean you don't need revitalization. That pastor needs to keep leaning in, to keep learning and embracing change and regularly renewing their vision, etc. And if they don't do that, well, then they're just complacent. And that also is a sign that a church needs revitalization. So, pastors and leaders need to be committed to being in it for the long haul. And if you're not committed to being in it for the long haul, then you're probably just as well not go into church revitalization. Yeah, that, that's an important thing. Revitalization takes time. And by time, we mean years. Um, and so are we in it for the long haul? And something that you mentioned, I think, in our first podcast about how long your church had been in decline, it takes that much longer to turn around. We're hoping to accelerate that curve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. We hope to accelerate, but, but the, the, don't, don't, you know, if a church has been around since like by 1959, now we weren't in decline that whole time, but just for sake of argument, let's say that we were, I couldn't come in and assume in, in, in seven years, I'm going to turn around 60 years worth of decline, <laughs> you know, yeah, it, it's a long haul thing. And depending on how long a congregation has been in decline, it might even be longer than these numbers. The longer the time and the farther down the life cycle, the backside of the life cycle that you get. Uh, we had a church near us, a sister church that was not an old church by any means. In fact, when we got here, it was only 10 years old, but it was already 10 years into its life on the backside of the church life cycle, sliding down through life support in toward death. And I, the, uh, the pastors there, uh, they struggled mightily to turn it around, but they didn't, they didn't have the stamina to stick it out. And it, it's, it's a tough situation. That's all there is to it. And it takes time. My prayer for you pastors and leaders that are listening to this is for steadfastness. Um, that, you know, God gives you the, the strength to, to stick it out through the challenges. And, um, and 
and the courage to do that too. And that God will bring along leaders alongside you that also want to you know, stick it out. And one of the reasons why I've been able to stay here is because I've got some solid leaders that that want us to succeed and move forward as well. They are not to stick in the past. So, and so my prayer is that is for that, for all of you as well, that you have, God gives you a steadfastness. Yeah. So we've been talking about these signs that a church needs revitalization for the last four episodes, Paul, and all of these episodes, we could probably group together as relating to people. Next time, we're going to switch our gears a little bit and start talking about systems and uh, some of the non-people things that we need to pay attention to uh, in order to see if it's time for revitalization in our churches. Hey, I think that would be a good conversation. And uh, I hope you enjoyed our three podcasts today. Uh, please give us a like and recommend us to your friends or talk with us on Facebook. Facebook.